Welcome to my podcast, Big Lessons from a Small Island. I am Sophia Robinson, and I'm an author, a blogger, and a coach. I write about life lessons, my experiences, and my philosophy on life, sprinkled with fun, humor, and big love from a small island. My mission is to inspire you to embrace every part of your story and to try something new. Welcome back to my podcast, Big Lessons from a Small Island. And if you haven't already done so, I would love it if you could go leave a rating and a review and also hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of this first season. Today is all about lessons I learned in the kitchen. Anybody who knows me knows I love baking, not a huge fan of cooking, and my kitchen is my place of solace and stress relief. So this was probably one of my favorite ones to write in this whole entire season. Here are the lessons I learned in the kitchen. In January of 2015, I put the idea of starting a blog out there. However, it had been on my mind for much longer than that. I had no idea what it was going to be about, but I knew I just wanted to start writing and forcing my friends and maybe even the world to read it. Oops, did I say that out loud? (laughs) I went through various topics and my friends had loads of suggestions for me. Many of them honestly involved cake. This is not a new theme. Several years ago, before Google and social media and YouTube were a thing, my friends suggested I should star in a cooking show called Saf's Calf, where I baked and talked about baking. And despite all of this, I actually don't write that much about baking or cooking, apart from the occasional lesson I learned, which involved some sort of baked good. Instead, I started a blog two years ago, writing about the 39 lessons I learned before I turned 40. And I must have had a special insight even then because I named the blog 39 and Counting and I have been writing lessons ever since. As we enter the new decade, I'm wrapping up the lessons I learned in the last decade. And today I write about the lessons I learned in my kitchen. So for all of my friends who wanted me to write a blog post or an entire blog or even have a TV show about baking, here you go. And if there's one thing I've learned over the last few years, baking is a metaphor for life. So I might slip in some life lessons here as well. Number one, it will not look like the recipe book or these days the tasty video. I have been learning this lesson since I started cooking and baking years ago. And honestly, it used to upset me a lot. I remember one night when I lived in Leicester, I was baking a chocolate cake to take to a friend's house for dessert and it fell apart. I can remember like it was yesterday. I was so livid. My friends actually sent me to bed and stuck it together with chocolate icing. That took the edge off of my mood, but it didn't erase the fact that I'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to my baking. No matter how delicious it tasted, and even the times when it kind of looked impressive, I was not satisfied because it wouldn't look like it did in the recipe book. I later learned that sometimes these photos aren't even of real food. And even when they are, I was comparing what was often a first try to a professional team of bakers and photographers. And this is a metaphor for life. Sometimes we compare our reality to people's airbrushed social media and it leaves us dissatisfied, even if we have a tasty cake right in front of us. And I know I do. I needed to learn that there's no such thing as perfect and that instead I should take the advice I heard on America's Test Kitchen and don't name it until it's done. 
Expectations can strangle the joy of reality, especially for a perfectionist like me. It made me miss the promise of delicious cake and good times spent with friends and families because I was too busy strewing about a lopsided cake. When I embraced the fact that it wouldn't look like the recipe book and that would be okay as well, I was able to enjoy what was in front of me. Lesson number two, never bake when it rains. This was the subject of a recent blog post and you can check it out on my blog www.39andcounting.com. Needless to say, there are many good reasons for this. Here is an excerpt from one of those blog posts that explains why rainy days are for coconut bread, which is a big gin delicacy that does not rely on creaming, butter, or whisking eggs, but instead unites the flavor of dry grated coconut, raisins, essence, and mixed peel or orange zest, if you're me. I don't like mixed peel. Factors like humidity and the rain can also affect my baked goods, especially those which are technique sensitive, like baked meringues or sponge cakes. In addition, moving back to Barbados has meant that other aspects of my recipes are affected by the heat and the humidity in my kitchen, such as spinning sugar and tempering chocolate. Even yesterday, I attempted to make a peanut butter filled chocolate chip cookie, which, re which required me to put blobs of peanut butter in the freezer and then wrap dough around it. The dough wouldn't wrap, my hands were too warm, and the peanut butter blobs were melting so fast, the cookies did not work out the way that they looked when I'd watched the Food Network earlier that day. If you live in a temperate country, remember that baking in the summer and winter can yield different results as well as if you move somewhere that's elevated or below sea level. And the same way that there are environmental factors that can affect our baking, there are things that can affect us in life. There are some factors that can trigger us to be angry or sad, or that can affect us badly, and there are other things that can bring us joy and life. For me, over time, I've noticed that there are things that trigger my mood, such as lack of natural light and time spent outside. I noticed when I lived in England, especially in the winter, how much the lack of sunshine and time outside affected me. I would make a special effort to go out walking at lunchtime, whether it was rain or shine, and ensure that I could stack the odds in my favour when it came to also doing those things that lit me up as much as possible, such as seeing the autumn colours, visiting friends and planning breaks and time off. Even after moving to Barbados, I know the things that fill me up include going to the beach and watching the sunset and, of course, baking. So the bigger advice here is know your triggers and what brings you joy and use this knowledge to manage your well-being. Number three, love is giving, love is taking. This may not sound like a lesson about baking cakes, but you can bet your sweet A it is. I wrote about this at one of my lower points over the past few years when I was stuck on my couch with a fractured ankle and I reflected on the fact that food made with love tastes so much better. And it really does. And I also learned there's as much love in the receiving as there is in the giving. There is a link to the posts on my blog, but here's an excerpt. One of the things I noticed today while we ate lunch is that food seems to taste so much better when it is made with love. I definitely mentioned this in a previous post, but now I'm quite convinced of it. I noticed that when I cook for others, it tastes almost as good as when they cook for me, and definitely better than when I'm cooking for myself. Not because I don't have love for myself, but because there's always an extra bit of love when you're making food for someone you love. 
by a quote-unquote coincidence, I also had a chance to watch a short video by one of my favorite authors, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and something that she said stood out to me. Girls are often raised to see love as only giving, and she goes on to say to love is to give and to take. This is something I'm learning as I'm getting used to my fancy footwear here on the couch, even if I learn the lesson kicking and screaming every step of the way. You see, receiving is not something I do very well. It is the kind of thing that I analyze to death because I'm not even sure I'm doing it correctly. And I definitely do not know how to do it with grace. So it was a gentle nudge to me that there is as much love in the giving as there is in the receiving. The fact is that food made with love tastes so good, but in order to receive that love, I also need to receive the meal. I'm still learning to accept it, so please be patient with me. Number four, never bake at night. And trust me on this one. This is a personal one for me, and it is practical. Because when I'm tired, I forget stuff, like baking powder. This actually happened a few weeks ago. Or I doze off, and I'm awoken by the smell of burning cakes. Other nighttime baking disasters include turning on the oven to preheat it while there was other stuff in there. And uh, once the bit of stuff was a knife with a plastic handle which melted and coated the base of my oven, it was disgusting. I'd confuse salt for sugar. Now, this was in someone else's kitchen. And as an aside, please do not have salt and sugar in identical unlabeled containers. You're just asking for trouble. Also, trying to double a recipe, but only doubling half of the ingredients. In truth, my brain just works better in the morning, and so it makes far more sense to, for me to go to sleep and get up early to tackle my baking. I've already explained why I don't bake at night, but it took me a long time to accept this about myself. Instead, I'd be annoyed and I'd beat myself up over the simple mistakes that I tended to make at night, but less so during the day. It was when I accepted that there's an ebb and flow to life that I stopped being so hard on myself, and instead I worked with how I felt, and that baking and life became a lot more manageable after this. The truth is that sometimes I'm at my peak in terms of energy and focus, and other times I'm winding down and I need rest. And there is a lot to be said for honoring that ebb and flow and going with it. When I started to do this, I found that the things that took me an hour at night took 20 minutes in the morning when I was more alert, and I realized that sometimes pushing past our own limits can be a complete waste of time and energy. Some time ago, I also wrote about the rate limiting factor and the fact that sometimes it is the very thing we are ignoring, such as the signals from our body that we need rest, that can have the biggest effect on our outcomes. So now, if I can absolutely help it, I don't bake at night. And if I feel a strong pull to rest, I tend to do it. Number five, try something new. This is the biggest gift and lesson I have received from my love for baking. It is the desire to try new things. I am a learner, so I love a new technique, a new recipe, or a new flavor combination. Sometimes things work beautifully, and sometimes it is a kitchen disaster. Either way, I'm still alive and I'm still baking, so this tells me that I can embrace trying new things. And the best way to try new things is with a friend by your side. I hope you enjoyed these lessons from my kitchen and learning a little bit more about what happens when Saf bakes cakes. You can check out a few more of my posts about cooking or baking on my blog and let me know what is your favorite thing to bake and what lessons have you learned in your kitchen. 
you can send me an email on 39andcountingblog at gmail.com and I send you big love from a small island. And if you haven't done so already, I would love it if you would grab a copy of my book, Everything is a Thing, My Journey to Living a Truly Authentic Life. It's a great read, especially now that we're all at home with more time on our hands. If you want to grab the digital version of my book, you can head on over to my website, www.39accounting.com store, and you can grab a copy. And I send you big love from a small island yet again.